Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The three-eyed king has long awaited this moment. The hour of which his destiny is at last unveiled. He leads an army of madness and rage against which no sane being would willingly stand. Perhaps I am not sane, as I will fight one last time, not for victory, but for survival, for the hope that a spark can endure. It is a slender hope, and the laughter of the dark gods rings loud in my ears. These are the end times. Hi there, welcome to Condensed Histories. I'm Jem Daduchu and I'm your host. Hope you enjoyed my epic opening there. What we're doing this time round is Warhammer. I said we occasionally do it. And as I said on previous occasions with Warhammer, I've done multiple episodes on it, bouncing around both the fantasy version and also the science fiction version, Warhammer 40,000. And what I do with these episodes is I've told the history of the actual brand Warhammer from a company called Games Workshop. If you like these Warhammer ones, they do seem to do quite well. There are multiple ones there, but please, hey, come for the Warhammer, stay for the other stuff, because I've done all kinds of different bits of pop culture and shown how everything, either deliberately or subconsciously, is pulling from real history. Some of it thousands of years old, be it Monopoly, be it Madonna's Vogue, be it Scooby-Doo. I cover all kinds of pop culture here, so yeah, look, I have a particular, let's say, penchant for Warhammer because it's one of my hobbies. I really enjoy building painting. I quite enjoy sort of converting. That's like smashing together some kits that aren't meant to go together. That's a lot of fun. I was about to say and playing, but actually I suck at the game. And actually to really, really know the best out of the game is you really, really have to pour through those rule books and sort of pull together this rule over here with that item over there and suddenly a very average unit is hitting way above its power level if you like and that's something that my kids are much better at than me because they spend more time doing that kind of stuff however it's a fun game okay and what i've just described there is a part of a prophecy from the end times the world will end next week spend your children's college fund and this is one of the most controversial side of things on the, the fantasy, that's the oldie-worldy type of Warhammer, called Fantasy Battle for Decades. It's now called Warhammer Age of Sigmar. 
And that's an important change. And this is another example. If you listen to my one about Warhammer and death and funerals, I made the point there that this is very clever retconning of why do you have all these space marines running around with skulls on them? Why does a skull so heavily out there in the Imperium? Well, in the law, it's a reference to the fact that the God Emperor has been sitting on a throne, slowly rotting, basically, for 10,000 years. So it's almost like a partly a memento mori, a reminder that you're going to die, but also a symbol of this sort of slightly decayed emperor. Well, I say slightly, but 10,000 years is going to put a dent, a few wrinkles on anybody, okay? 10,000 years will give you such a crick in the neck! That's the law. The reality is, if you've got a big armor-plated space marine, you stick a skull on it, it looks cool. It'll probably sell. For the record, this is something very controversial. There are some foolish people out there who basically say there's there's no such thing as girl space marines, and technically they're right. There are, there are no female space marines in any of the artwork, in any of the figures or anything like that. Now, there is an entire army of female fighters for the Imperium, the Adeptus Sororitas, or the Sisters of Battle, as they're more commonly known. The ladies get to fight in power armor too. However, if you go back to why, there were some metal model miniatures of female space marines back in the 80s but they didn't sell well. Basically, the teenage boys wanted to buy boy shooters rather than girl shooters back in the day. And Games Workshop is a company, they just want to sell stuff, okay? In the modern world, in the 21st century, more inclusiveness, you know, more variety, all these sorts of things are sort of coming to the fore. And that isn't actually the reason behind these major changes in fantasy battle, but it's a sign that this company needs to change. It is susceptible to the fact, to the harsh realities of economics. And that is part of the reason behind these end times. But also, it's created this very interesting situation where some people, once the dust settled, there are some people saying that actually the lore and stories from this Age of Sigma is actually better than the Warhammer 40,000 stuff. Now, Warhammer 40,000 outsells generally Age of Sigma in most instances, and the Space Marines, if you like, are the cover boys of the brand. Even people with a passing knowledge of Warhammer have probably heard of the Space Marines. So anyway, that, if you like, is the boring economic side of things, but let's talk a little bit more about the, the fun side of things, and this will definitely get us into the world of apocalypses and Armageddons and end of the worlds which we see in major religions around the world but also just generally in kind of pop culture these sort of like end days end times are quite common casting our minds back 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 when games workshop first launched again go back to the original one to sort of like get the full story it was heavily influenced by all the other role-playing and fantasy stuff out there the absolute pinnacle, almost biblical side of Lord of the Rings. One ring to rule them all. No Lord of the Rings than the whole fantasy genre full stop would be completely different today. There'd be yeah, no Game of Thrones, there'd also be no Warhammer, and, and so many other brands out there are heavily influenced by it. So they were creating figures 
that would fit into Dungeons and Dragons, Lord of the Rings, but also, as it evolved, their own games. Warhammer Fantasy role-playing and Warhammer Fantasy Battle being the first two. They came out in the early 80s. Then you get the Warhammer 40,000, the Space Marine stuff in 1987. So that's a few years later. And really, what they do is they riff off all the usual things. You want an army of elves? Well, you've probably got two flavours, high elves or wood elves, because that's what you've got in Lord of the Rings. You've got this element of chaos and like demonic activity. That's pulled quite often from Michael Moorcock's Eternal Champion. The Elric, if you've ever sort of read any of those books, those are really interesting fantasy books. They're deliberately the opposite of the kind of barbarian and Conan stuff. So the point is Elric is a very tall, skinny prince. So he's already got the riches and he's not physically powerful and he's got all the resources, but he's got to sort of run a kingdom eventually. And he has this powerful, in essence, demonic sword with him. So, yeah, very, very different to the kind of noble barbarian starting at the bottom, fighting their way up. Or, or It's always clear what's good and bad in this situation with, with Elric and Michael Moorcock's books and the Eternal Champion as, as he sort of evolved it. Far more murky and interesting, I'm going to say, from a perspective. Perspective of, a, of a reader, a more, you know, more mature reader. That's what's going on there. The game became more and more popular and more and more groups and armies were put into it. You want the dwarves? Fine, have the dwarves. You want the chaos dwarves? They got big hats. You can, you can have the chaos dwarves. I was pointed out, this whole episode was suggested by Ollie Grimwood. Ollie, shout out to you. And Ollie came back to me on the previous Warhammer one, because I kept saying Crypt Kings, and that's about the funerals and death one. And I knew at the time it was wrong, and he was the first person to come back and correct me and goes, it's the Tomb Kings. More on them in a minute, because what I said in the last one is that's an example of a Games Workshop property that was invented after I got out of the game first time round as a teenager. And by the time I'd come back in, Age of Sigmar had started. So these end times had happened a couple of years before I'd actually got back into the game. And the Tomb Kings are part of this end times. And so although they were around for, I'm going to say, 20 years, you know, people had big armies of them. I never played them and you can't buy the figures anymore. Well, I mean, at least not first hand. You're going to have to buy, you know, second hand ones off eBay or something. So there we go. So the point is that Fantasy Battle grew and grew. And with it, in the late 80s, we get the start of the books that Warhammer started creating. It eventually evolved into the Black Library. It's an entire wing of Games Workshop. So they've got all these different brands underneath. Games Workshop's the master one. You've got technically it's Citadel Miniatures, which is what all the figures are. Then you've got the Black Library, which is all the written stuff. And then you've got the Warhammer 40,000, Warhammer Age of Sigmar. But then you've also got Blood Bowl, you've got Necromunda. They've got various other boxed games out there. They also do a whole Lord of the Rings range as well. So Fancy Battle is growing and growing and it's, it's doing pretty well. More armies are being added. But if you like, there's a bit of a problem. Because they're being inspired by Lord of the Rings and what have you, the Orcs are called Orcs, the Elves are called Elves. They did create their own identity, these Rat Men, and specifically called them Skaven, which is a copyrightable name because they came up with that one. But they also had the Lizard Men and all these things that are pretty standard fantasy tropes. So part one of this is the fact that by the time we get into the 2000s, Warhammer is doing pretty well, but it's got these brands it isn't necessarily in control of. 
it's a bit like Barg's root beer, sort of going back to root beer is actually from sarsaparilla root. And you might have even heard of the term sarsaparilla, but it's because that's a plant name, nobody can copyright that. But Barg's root beer is a copyrightable trademark, and companies generally want to be in charge of their own IP. This has led recently to a bit of a fight, a little bit of a, a storm on social media, because Warhammer has actually created their own channel with various programming and some animation. It's called Warhammer Plus. If you're really into Warhammer, it's a pretty good deal. If you're yeah, about Warhammer, it's so not worth it. The point on that is because they're now creating their own channel and they want people to subscribe to it, you know, like Netflix for Warhammer, that's very much overdoing it. The content some weeks is no more than two 15-minute episodes or something. It's, it's not exactly a huge amount of stuff on there. But of course, they're going to protect their IPs. Meanwhile, for the last 20 years, people have been doing their own animations and stories and things like this on the likes of YouTube. And so Warhammer Games Workshop has actually sort of sent out some cease and desists to some of these people, which led to be, oh, this is the big guy crushing the little guy. And the answer is no, it isn't. Companies are obliged to look after their IPs for legal reasons. If basically you're saying have at it to everybody, you never protect your IP, then at some point if somebody does something you don't like and you try and stop them because you've already made it basically free for all, you can't stop them from doing that thing. There's a whole area of IP, intellectual property rights. Uh, there's a whole area of law dedicated to it. They're like after a, after a author dies, for about 75 years after that, whoever owns the rights to that book, it's still valid. But after 75 years, and again, there are some variations to this, it becomes basically open source for anybody to, to use as they will. So it does mean that some famous books are sort of like slowly drop into the public domain. Like, like, for example, Peter Pan has in my lifetime. It's Peter Pan. Slight digression there, but the point is, with the end times, it allowed them to wipe the slate clean and bring out this new thing called Warhammer Age of Sigmar, and suddenly at that point, orcs are called Orocs, and you get things like the lizard men are suddenly called Seraphon, and Sylvaneth are the kind of wood elvesy th things, but they've also got sort of tree people in there as well, Ents in essence, but very different. So the point is, they can now control the IPs. This is all the boring intellectual property stuff, and there's another reason for it as well, which I'll come on to in a moment, but let's sort of like talk about what's going on. So if you want to do a Google search and find a map of Warhammer Fantasy Battle Old World, you'll see that it's I'm not saying it's the same or anything like that, but it's a normal everyday map in the sense that if you do find a map of Middle-earth, you'll find the Shire and Mordor and everything like that. So you've got the Empire, and that's sort of round about 1500-ish in terms of its technology. Now, they have things like griffins and knights on the back of them that obviously never really existed, but they've got also things like swordsmen, they've got regular cavalry, the Bretonians, that's sort of separate to the Empire, but the Bretonians are famous for their cavalry, and that's very much like High France, 
the heavy cavalry that they would have had in the 1400s, for example. So it's obviously riffing off real world type stuff. And that gives you an idea about where we are in terms of the era of technology. There's a few steam tanks. There's obviously lots of magic. There are dragons, etc. So this is all kind of familiar. This is familiar territory if you know much about fantasy or even a little bit about history as well. The dwarves all live in underground kingdoms. Think the Hobbit, for example. And in the north, we got the Chaos Wastelands. This is something that's a bit different. So you've got these sort of like areas where the warp. is beginning to seep in. It's like there's rips in reality and demons pour out and it corrupts the people there. And so you've got these sort of like chaos war bands roaming the areas, looking for prey, fighting amongst each other. Again, done a whole episode on the four different chaos gods and how they sort of clash with each other. You know, they're not necessarily each other's best friends. It's a good setup. It means that you can get an army from each one of these groups and so many more as well. Lizardmen live further south. Obviously, they want to live in jungles where lizards tend to be, basically. And what happened is you then get, very cleverly, some of the people who are mentioned in the the law in kind of in passing you know they might have been heroes from the past but what they're doing is enlarging them and adding to them and the absolute critical one is Archeon so Archeon was always a powerful chaos wizard but he becomes the trigger of these end times and you get this two-tailed comet which is a sign of both sort of like change but also a foreboding too and this triggers the end times in the law and also there was sort of like special in essence battle packs that went out so you could start playing the battles that were linked to the end times and Archeon who had just been a chaos wizard suddenly goes on quests he gets himself some armor he grows in power he gets himself the Kingslayer sword you know this incredibly powerful magic item and he also gets in essence, a horse. <laughs> but believe me, Dorgar is no horse. I would strongly recommend you perhaps do a Google search for Archeon. It's sort of spelt as it sounds with the A-E in the middle. Archeon. Archeon, I guess, if you want to sort of like do a look for it, for the model. And you'll see basically an armor-plated dude with big horns sticking out of his helmet on the back of what looks like a gigantic dragon. So that used to be a horse, by the way. <laughs> Critically, it has three heads of three of the different types of gods, chaos gods, I should say. And so Archeon on Dorgar unites various sort of like chaos factions and they explode out and just go for it. And at the same time, another sort of chaos faction, those Skaven, those rat men. The rat greatest rat. They sort of burst out of from underground and fight the dwarves and spend a long time fighting those lizard men I mentioned. And they're causing all kinds of problems. Also, quite funnily, is they, they destroy the moon. <laughs> That's where all the warp stone, which is what they use for their technology. I've got a whole Skaven army. I used to have a very small Skaven army first time around. I always liked their kind of aesthetic. They're kind of like dirty and, you know, all their kit was sort of like banged together. It's all a bit rough and ready. And so, yeah, they're, they're coming and they blow up the moon. They cause chaos everywhere, literally and metaphorically. And, and so we get the trigger of the end times. The End Times actually were multiple books that came out, as I said, these kind of battle packs, and it was a sort of a big thing 
for I'm gonna say a couple of years. It was all sort of like leading up to it. it, it from the point of view of the the books coming out, the games coming out, etc., or the I should say the battle packs, etc. All of this was designed to just sort of like really bring things along. And if you like, this is something that, as I again I've said previously, that Warhammer Forty Thousand has fundamentally had got a problem with because its lore is so well established and was established so early on. Yes, you've had recently the Great Rift and the Thirteenth Crusade that led to the fall of Cadia and things like that. But the problem is, every time you have this big galaxy-shattering event, there's then a huge setback to basically leave everything at a status quo. With the end times, however, it was deliberately wiping the slate clean. As I said, Archeon comes back. Nagash, that was a pretty obscure sort of undead necromancer, sorcerer type thing, he comes back as basically the god of death and sort of sucks all the power out of the dot 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 tomb kings so that's why they're not in there anymore they're basically sort of absorbed into nagash's power and that's why they're not in the the modern age of sigmar type battles but that allows them to wipe out an entire army which would obviously if you spent hundreds of pounds on this army and hundreds of hours painting it and it's like that doesn't exist anymore i can understand why that's a little bit annoying to you okay fair enough but Ultimately, you've got the likes of Sigmar, who, again, wasn't quite a god at this time. He sort of evolved over time from an emperor to sort of like a demigod, and now Age of Sigmar, he's literally a god. But, you know, Sigmar's sort of fighting with Archeon, and literally the old world is destroyed. Archeon tears the world to pieces in a final act of destruction, and Sigmar is left clutching the core of the old world, hurtling through space at which he starts reforging some of these people into his Stormcast Eternals, which are these basically heroes that can be reforged every time they die, although each time a little part of their soul fades away. So there's a sort of like slightly sad, doomed, almost penitent scenario going on there. And I really, really like that. And so did the fans. And I've heard a number of people online saying, look, one of the reasons why people are so annoyed at the end times is really they're annoyed that they finished because it was such a good narrative arc. But you can see how it changed everything. Suddenly, armies were no longer going to be updated. There were never going to be any new figures for them. And so you can understand it's like, oh, you're leaving the fan base behind. And this is where, again, I want to step out of the law. The fun stuff is like these mighty entities clashing against each other, magic crackling across the sky. Yeah, let's get away from that. The reality is fantasy battle wasn't selling very well anymore. And it was very much in the style of old battles. What do I mean by that? All the figures were on square bases, which meant that you packed them into rectangles of densely packed infantry, just like you would get in a real battlefield, let's say circa 1200, something like that. There had to be unit cohesion. Whereas meanwhile, in the world of Warhammer 40,000, everything was on circular bases, it was far more flexible, more fluid, and the thing about these sort of like rigid blocks of infantry is A, that's a lot of figures you've got to paint, and none of them are particularly interesting. 
So people like the dragons and the big demons and things like that. So it wasn't necessarily selling as well as it had been. And the other problem is there were very specific rules, which are true. The absolute ultimate example of an, of an infantry formation, which has very different impact depending on how you're coming at it, is the classic ancient Greek phalanx. What do I mean by that? If you've seen the movie 300, this is Sparta! you've seen one. So all these heavily armoured and shielded Greek soldiers, hoplites as they're called, with their lances, people call them spears, but spears kind of imply that you can just throw them. These are long. These are kind of unwieldy. It's like a giant metal hedgehog. If you are, it's a, the first rank had their shields covering their bodies and they had their lances sticking out. But the people behind, immediately behind, are in the same position with their lances sticking, this is why they're so long, sticking out between the shoulders of the front rank so if you go head on into that you're going to die you cannot get at the enemy phalanx however I think you can probably work out this is all very front-loaded so if you've got cavalry and you can kind of get round the back and hit them from behind it's like a hot knife through butter so to emulate that there were various movement rules and positional rules in Warhammer Fantasy Battle so it wasn't just how strong are these troops but how strong are these troops from the front from behind etc complicated isn't it and that was one of the things so it was very complicated there were a lot of average soldiers you were gonna have to paint and so actually why i'm a fancy battle wasn't really bringing anybody new in if i what i've just described you're sitting there going doesn't sound very interesting that was the problem. The idea of Age of Sigmar was perhaps smaller armies, but, you know, more heroic groups in it, smaller squads. Maybe you only have a five in a squad in this situation rather than a big block of 60 Skaven with all their pikes sticking out. I've painted that, by the way. It gets, it gets hard. The idea was to sort of take the stuff that people love about it, but perhaps take away some of the stuff that people don't like about it. But of course, you've got the term I always like is the neckbeards who go, oh, well, you know, I'm going to have to rebase all my models or my army isn't legal anymore or, or whatever. It's like, I do understand the frustration of that. However, again, Games Workshop's a company. And if you have bought five years ago an army that, you, you know, maybe you spent the whole year painting up and putting together and so on and so forth. I get, I absolutely, as somebody who's done it myself, I get it. But if that's the army you're now just going to run for the next five years, Games Workshop's not making any money. So they need to add new units, need to add new rules and so on and so forth because they would like you to spend some money on the hobby. Thank you very much. So yeah, that's part of the reason behind it. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. But as I've just described, this was genuinely an epoch-making event that led to completely different rules, law, setup. There are now different realms. You can literally jump from one reality to another reality, like Shyish is the reality of the dead, and Gur is the reality of beasts. You've got different rules and different realities. So it's really big, it's really fun, but it is very different. And for the record, I'm aware that, you know, to sort of keep the old guard happy, there is an idea that they're going to be releasing at some point a kind of updated fantasy battle, but this is going to be niche. It's clearly not going to be given as much love and attention as the you know, current Age of Sigmar because they know it won't sell as well. The rules will have to be complicated, so on and so forth. Either it'll be very different rules which will annoy the old guard, or it'll be very similar rules, in which case it won't bring anybody new in, although there will be new figures for you to buy, so there we go. But this idea of the end times, you all know what I'm talking about here, okay? We have names for it. There are names from different religions we even know. We we all know what Armageddon is, right? We also probably, most of us, know what Ragnarok is, right? And it is interesting how often in history and religion that we get these end times. And I just want to pause for a moment. I am going to say, look... I'm not Christian, but if you're in the West, whether you like it or not, the civilization you are living in has a Christian origin. Christian ethics and morality runs through places like France and America and Britain because it's just been the, the point, you know, the point of reference, if you like, for society for so very, very long. And so, yeah, Armageddon, it was even the name of a 1990s action movie directed by Michael Bay starring Bruce Willis. The Bible calls this day Armageddon, the end of all things. And that had nothing to do with the book of revelations from the Bible. It was just a big bang, wham, bang action movie from the 1990s. I digress a little bit there. However, moving back to the world of the Book of Revelations, what's interesting is that when you get to the early church, we're talking about 300s AD, by then there were actually multiple different testaments and etc from the time of Jesus. So for example, there's the gospel according to St. Thomas. And if you're sitting there going, eh, that, 
That's not in the Bible, no. Basically, church elders in the 300s, under the supervision of Constantine, who was a pagan Roman emperor, he only became Christian on his deathbed. I'm calling that hedging your bets, everybody. He basically asked them to ratify. There is so much writing around Jesus. What stuff should be in and what stuff should be left out? And so something like the Gospel according to St. Thomas was omitted. It was deemed unnecessary. There are big big fat books written about why all this stuff is happening if you're interested if you're really interested in church theology and the evolution and that's a kind of contentious way of putting it but really is an evolution of a religion there are some fascinating books out there there's a history of god by karen armstrong she in one chapter will have more facts than anybody else will have in an entire book uh, she's an ex-nun and she really knows her stuff and they are amazing books but fabulously dense i'm just warning you right now so you then get the book of revelation there was actually genuine debate about whether this should be left in or not because it is a fever dream it is nothing like let's say the gospel according to saint luke if you like the four gospels are pretty straightforward in their stories and then you get the book of revelation but basically it it just about made the cut it was highly debated people weren't sure but in the end they went okay let's do it and and that's the last bit of the bible and it is very different to the rest of the new testament and i heard as it were the noise of thunder one of the four beasts saying come and see and i saw and behold a white horse i guess it's similar to some of the stuff in the old testament because we are aware of some of the imagery in this there's the whole number of the beast 666 which is actually a deliberate reference to nero a coded reference to nero by the way don't believe me whereas in english we might say a is one and b is two it isn't we're just naming where they are in the alphabet literally hebrew letters are associated with numbers so basically if you get 666 and work it out it spells nero or it spells neron actually which is the which is a version of nero so yeah so you didn't want to actually say in your book we hate nero because he's killing us which is exactly what nero was doing at that time so you hide it because he's the most powerful person on the planet so you you might want to hide it but it's now led to whole 666 but there is the dragon with six heads and six tails and six crowns on its head and please i implore you to sort of like perhaps flick through the book of revelation because there are rivers of blood there is earthquakes it's end times it really is but the thing i always remember when people sort of say this should be taken literally it says very specifically the dragon which is spoiler alert the devil takes out its tail and puts it into the heavens and brings down half of the stars in the sky onto the planet. Well, if you do anything other than take that literally, it's clearly a metaphor for destruction or something like that, but if you're gonna take it literally, how long is that tail to reach half the stars in the sky? How heavy is that tail? What's it made of to avoid it burning up when it touches the fabulously hot surfaces of all these stars? Also, planet Earth would be evaporated by just our local sun, let alone half the stars in the sky. That's overkill. So, yeah, this stuff's genuinely in there. And this is where the book of Revelation has stuff in common with all these other religions because it's just monster fighting. It's, it's Godzilla versus Kong, basically, but with a religious bent. And, you know, Ragnarok is the sort of like the final fight between good and evil, just like, you know, the 
with Armageddon, it's a final fight between good and evil. And as I said, in history, there have been times when apocalyptic people, there were people in the year 1000 thinking, well, this is a thousand years, it's now time for Jesus to come back and we'll, we'll have the second coming. I think you can work out that didn't happen. But throughout history, there have been points where there's been these prophecies of like, oh, yes, the, the year 1527, definitely it's going to happen there. No, it didn't. 1900, nope. And so it goes on and on and on. It's really interesting. There's almost like this obsession with this idea that it's definitely going to be end of times. There was a bit of it in the year 2000. It's like, oh, you know, when we get, get go from 99 to 2000, that's definitely going to be a thing. There's another one that happened recently, which I'm going to link back to end times in Warhammer in a moment bear with me on that but the other one i wanted to say is literally at the end of world war one which was a horrifically destructive war and also pretty much the first mass machined industrial war out there you know there's the gas there's the machine guns there's the hydraulic artillery there's the barbed wire armageddon is actually a place you can find it on the map it is called megiddo and Megiddo was the site of a major battle between the Hittites and the Egyptians. And people think that that might be why it's sort of been remembered in the book of Revelations. But also Megiddo was one of the sites of one of the last battles of World War One between the Ottoman Empire that ruled the Middle East and basically a British Imperial Army, largely British, Indian and Australian soldiers fighting. And there were some soldiers, you know, if you're going to read the book of Revelations, there's going to be this bloody war between good and evil. There was going to be great destruction across the world. Does this sound familiar to you? And particularly if you're in the backdrop of World War One, and now we're about to fight at Armageddon, which could well bring about the end of the world. There were some soldiers at the time that were a bit nervous about this going, um, are we just acting out the Bible here? Now, in the end, it was an emphatic victory for the British side and the Ottoman Empire crumbled very shortly after that. So, I mean, maybe it was Armageddon for the, for the Ottoman Empire, but that didn't exist at the time of the Bible being written. I digress substantially there. So you get these points of these these deaths but if you like the the thing is it's not just in in christian literature or viking literature you know for example in islam jesus isa as as he is known in 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 the quran jesus is an incredibly important figure in islam this is something that's quite often forgotten as people from both sides try and claim that the two religions are incompatible absolutely not jesus is instrumental in the end times according to the quran as well i find that interesting then in hinduism and don't forget hinduism predates christianity by about 500 years we get vishnu who is you know the zeus if you like of the pantheon of hindu gods he comes back for the last cycle of time. This time, though, as a figure called Kulki, and he rides a white horse and carries a sword, and interestingly, looks like a comet, just like I just mentioned with the end times in Warhammer Fantasy, and rides a horse and carries a sword. Archeon, anybody? Now, I'm not saying that the people making the end times was influenced by Hinduism. The idea of a powerful sword and riding of a beast or something like that, that's pretty standard in these things. But it's weird that you do get similar imagery in similar different stories about the end times. But with Christianity, obviously, the end times may be bad news for Earth, but it's great news for the faithful because the, the believers and unbelievers will be separated and some go to heaven, some go to hell. What? It can't be the rapture! If this were the rapture, I'd be floating up there. Or in the case of Ragnarok, it's the time of endless winter, but there is renewal later. 
you know, people go to Valhalla and sit there in the hall of the of the kings and gods and heroes, and they have a great old time. But the point is, there is then renewal once again. Because when you look at the seasons out there, you do get the bleak winter, you know, that you do get the baking hot sun, but the seasons change. So actually, a, a lot of these end times aren't quite as end as we make them out to be. So linked to all of this, a little bit like both in the fantasy world and also in the world of religions and also in the world of some of these prophecies that you get, you get this idea of apotheosis. What does that mean? That means turning into a god or into a legend, if you like. And as I've, I've mentioned there with Archeon and Sigmar and Nagash, all these people had these moments of apotheosis where they were elevated, if you like. And you kind of get this as well in these sort of stories from the past as well. I just mentioned the, the heroes and, and people like that. But these changes, going back to the Warhammer world, allows them to completely rewrite everything. They were able to get rid of characters that have kind of finished their arc, which again sort of like irritated people. I want to know more. I want to know more. It was a bit like when you get Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, when he was doing Sherlock Holmes, killed him off. Deep down in that dreadful cauldron of swirling water, and seething foam will lie for all time the most dangerous criminal and the foremost champion of the law of their generation. And then everybody liked it so much, like, okay, fine, I'll bring him back again. You know, people want to hear more stories. An example in the world of Warhammer is Gortrek and Felix. Now, Gortrek is a sort of dwarf adventurer, just quite the lad. My younger son, you can get a model of him, and he is he's broken. He's fabulously dangerous on the battlefield, and he's only a dwarf, so he's pretty small. So we all agree that for the most amount of danger on the battlefield, for literally the cheapest amount of money, because I think he only costs 20, 20 pounds or something like that, he's easily the best value figure out there. Of course, he has to get into battle. He's only got little legs, so it takes him a while to get there. But once he's there, oh my goodness, he will kill. He can easily kill a dragon. So yes, so he's pretty amazing. So you get Gortrek and Felix, but in the end times, Felix, who was his like his journeyman, his bard who came with him, who would tell the legends of Gortrek. And Felix dies in it. And so now in the new times, we got Gortrek who's been elevated to a godlike status, particularly by the dwarves, but he's sort of looking for Felix and trying to find Felix. In the world of the elves, you've got Teclas and Tyrion, and only one of those has come. Uh, they're sort of these twins, they're sort of very powerful, of course become gods again, but only one of them have come back, and so the people playing the elves are waiting for the other one to come back, which will probably mean yet another battle tome. Every time an army comes out, you get a battle tome, which you have to buy and gives you all the rules and all the all the rules of all the of the people, but also of the army itself. They were unlucky. They basically have had two come out in the space of three years, and now they've got probably going to have another one come out. So that's three in maybe three, four years. That's too many Battle Tones Games Workshop. So all of that's going on. But I said I was going to bring all this back. Another society that had this concept of these end times and recycling and rejuvenation is the Aztecs. And I said that there's something else that happened during my, my lifetime because they basically, the clever thing about the Aztecs is they have multiple different calendars. They basically have the working calendar, 365 days a year, et cetera, et cetera. In other words, you know, they, they had their seasons and months and so on and so forth that the average person can do. But in terms of their religion, they had something called the long count, which lasted about 5,000 years. And it actually was going to 
end. A long count obviously doesn't end very often, but it was going to end roughly at Christmas 2012. And this led, when people started picking up on this, around about 2010, 2011, there became this thing. I'm going to say 1% of the people who were talking about it was perhaps taking it seriously, but 99% of people were having fun. And indeed, you have the movie 2012, which isn't very good. But it's just all kinds of silliness. And it just starts off with sort of like a very dumb scientific explanation that's completely impossible as to why we're now going to have a disaster movie. For the first time ever, the neutrinos are causing a physical reaction. But it was absolutely sort of like wink, wink, nudge, nudge, linked to the Aztec calendar. But that's all in the first five minutes. The rest of it is just sort of run away from this earthquake, run away from this forest fire, etc. All CGI, all very stupid and dumb. But what's interesting is you get the first Age of Sigma in 20. 15. That's when the new version of the Warhammer rules come out. And you had, therefore, the end times happening over basically a couple of years before that, which means they had to have been planning all of this a few years earlier. Also during the end times, one of the other things they'd started doing is bringing out models for specific moments. And these were glorious models, like the Glotkin, for example. That's just this huge slimy beastie thing which has sort of like teeth in its where its wrists and hands should be and it's just a huge compared to an average figure and and so yeah so it, it was bringing out all this stuff all this took years of planning and therefore if you start tracking back you can't help but realize that probably there must have been a very interesting business meeting at games workshop where they're going hmm Fancy battle isn't doing very well. How do we get the kids back into it? And somebody else going, well, you do know it's no point because by 2012, we're all going to die according to the Aztec calendar. It's like, oh, why don't we combine those two things, shall we? Conjecture, conjecture, but it is interesting that this stuff was happening around about the same time. However, the thing I must point out about the Aztec one, obviously we are past the year 2012 now, nothing happened. But the thing is, even the Aztecs believed that nothing happened. It was a point about astrological configuration and cycle. They seem to see that the, if you like, the, the universe or the galaxy would rotate once. You know, you know we have a, a day and the long count for the galaxy is about 5,000 years. So that, that's the way it is. They weren't thinking that the world would end. It's just that at the end of the, of the long cycle, the next day, starts the next long cycle. That's all. It's just like flipping over your calendar or if you're electronically scrolling along your calendar to the next time. Nothing actually changes out there. The last point I'm going to make on all of this is I am one of these people where I was old enough to go out and party like it's 1999. And I remember thinking, you know, next Tomorrow will be January 1st, year 2000. I'm one of the rare people who gets a chance to live from one millennium to another millennium, which is outrageous if you think about it. I mean, if you think about most of the world's population, you never get to live across something like that. I get to live across different centuries, different decades and different millennia. That's that's amazing. So I knew nothing was going to be different, but I just wondered, went, oh, I wonder if there's any changes in the year 2000. And I remember waking up the next morning, and this is the problem always with New Year's Eve, but just perhaps heightened in the year 2000. So I woke up, I looked out the window, and it was raining, and it was grey, and it was cold. And it was like, eh, okay, fair enough. I mean, January 1st just is such an 
underwhelming event out there. Maybe it should be banned. I don't know. So on that thought, we we talked extensively. I mean, it's nice for a change to talk almost exclusively about Warhammer Fantasy and, and Age of Sigma rather than the 40,000 stuff. So there we go. Hope you really enjoyed that one. Remember, it's not the end of the world when this podcast finishes. And hopefully I'll speak to you next week. Game over. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.